Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattled, he just goes till the sun goes down. Hello and welcome to Food Chat here on 56KLZ. Food Chat is that radio show where we talk about everything that's food related. Where it's grown, how it's grown, who grows it, how it gets to your kitchen, and we talk about all the processes that go behind that. Our hosts... Greg Bloom has a number of years in ranching and farming, and I'm Jackson Lamb, and I've been in the industry, restaurant industry, for about 25 years. I've also been a university professor at the School of Hospitality, so I'm very familiar with all aspects of food. Today, we've got a great guest speaker. His name is Brent Bold, and he is with uh, Calera Greenhouse. And uh, I'm sorry, Calera Farms. It's a big difference there. It's not a greenhouse. It's Calera Farm. And uh, they're in the north part of Denver. Brent, welcome to the uh, radio show. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Glad to be here. How are you guys? Very good. And you sound loud and clear. I'm delighted. Very good. So, Brent, you know, both Greg and I are very, uh, you know, farm-friendly um, but you've got a different process up there altogether. Can you share with our audience some of the technology that goes behind what you do at Calera? Sure, yeah, I'd be happy to. So Calera is uh, a vertical farm. So as you uh, made a small distinction between greenhouse would be the closest comparison and what a lot of people are familiar with, this vertical farm being maybe the next evolution of indoor farming. We focus uh, on mostly hydroponics uh, almost entirely all hydroponics would be one major component of our technological advance and the other part of that is artificial lighting knowing that we're growing um, vertically so we've got 12 levels uh, in our farm here in denver Um, and because of that you can't utilize sunlight in the same way that you can in a greenhouse so we'll use the led lighting which is uh, very energy efficient and then uh what we benefit from there is we're only about like each level is only about three to four feet high so we're able to cram all that into a warehouse and then very effectively cool and heat that climate and dehumidify however we need and so that's a that's the other component of it of like that step forward in energy efficiency and the technology we use in vertical farming as opposed to greenhouses where we are growing 12 times at the crop size and 12 times the growth space for this uh, roughly the same amount of climate control um kilowattage however you want to look at it um but just energy um as a greenhouse would use so that's a in my mind that is a huge step forward so i would say that those are the two major components that separate uh what we do here as a vertical farm is that hydroponic and movement of water very little media and the led artificial lighting very good. You know, Brent, I was most impressed with the footprint of your operation. You kind of mentioned it. You're going up 12 levels. If we had to spread all that out on one ground level, we'd have a, we'd have a lot of real estate out there to control. But uh, you are a very tightly packed um, 
uh, hydroponic program there. It's, it's quite impressive. You know, you mentioned the hydroponic thing, and I think that one of the benefits there is the water usage. Can you kind of compare water usage in an open farming lettuce operation versus yours? Yes, I would love to. So the, that's that's one of the big things here that we like to talk about is uh, so we got two major inputs in our facility is energy and water. And uh, the, the, but the fact of the matter is the water we use, the only water we lose um, is through transpiration for the most part. What goes on the floor is a drop in the bucket, pardon the pun. The, um, so we're really, really efficient that way. Whereas in conventional agriculture, you are obviously watering so much ground, so much water that is not actually being taken up by the plants. And so that's, that's just a massive difference right there. And then the other issues that you get with that is that, you know, in a healthy farm, that water is returning to your reservoirs or your aquifers underground. But in conventional farming nowadays, that's just not what happens. You've got your till layer, you've got your compaction layer. So it all ends up going not where it's supposed to go. And that's why we're struggling depleting these aquifers and everything um, in modern-day agriculture. So vertical farming is a really nice step forward in that where we have, we're using just a small fraction. And so what I, what I like to say, because we, we want to address the fact that, obviously, we're using more energy than an outdoor farm operating with natural sunlight. But there's a lot of fronts to combating that energy usage, whether it be solar, wind, uh, whatever it might be, pick your, pick your favorite form of sustainable energy production. But it is hard to reproduce water. So the fact that that is already figured out here is huge for us. Uh, we've got other aspects, too, of saving water. We're continuously looking at it, monitoring what we use, um, looking into taking our dehumidified water, repurposing that. So it's, it's, we're always trying to continue to limit that footprint every single day. So. Yeah. Brent, would you say that um, from a percentage-wise perspective that your operation uses maybe 10% of what a regular farm would use? 10% I think is even generous. I, I would argue it'd probably go closer to 5%. Okay, very good. How about this? So we're, um, uh, then how do we feed, how do we feed these plants? You know, uh, you know, obviously we need some nutrients in there. We're concerned about pesticides and herbicides, but I don't think that exists in your world. Is that true? That's true. Yeah, that's kind of a two-pointer. Uh, I'll touch on the nutrients first. And so we do use synthetic nutrients. It is very conducive to um, being like, it's much more soluble than a lot of the uh, organic products on the line. And uh, the amount of um, nutrients that we use or lack thereof, it's a really small footprint for what is actually produced. And uh, so the, although we're using synthetics, because we're recirculating them and they're always running through the system, again, it's similar to the water that the only nutrients that we're, and fertilizers that we have to supplement is literally what has been converted to leaf biomass nutrients, what is that, that nutritional label on the lettuce packet. And that's pretty remarkable in and of itself as well. So same deal with conventional agriculture where all that, like what we say, let's say 90, 90 to 95% of that water is just flowing out and not getting to those plants. It's the same deal with that fertilizer. And so then you've got your algal blooms, you got your runoff, you have all the other problems that come along with that. So again, that's just a, a massive step forward. Very good. So um, do you get to a point where we find that we need more nutrients in the water or do you have to let your water go and start new? Do we ever get to that point or do we just keep using the same water 
and adding nutrients to it. So it is very rare for us to have to uh, drain our water. And I'll say that is not a common thing and why I'm actually very pro-cholera in the vertical farming industry. Because a lot of um, conventional hydroponics that are, uh, let's say, like recirculating hydroponics, so when you're recycling the water like we are, they will periodically drain their water. And a big part of that is VOC buildup in the water, so like volatile organic compounds, as well as uh, like your root exudates, which are these uh, fatty acid chains. And it's a natural process that the plants do to attract microbial activity um, and, uh, and like your actual like soil um, ecosystem. Now, we don't have soil and we don't have microbial activity. We grow without it. Um, now, I love microbes in natural farming, but here we don't need them. So we don't need those root exodus. And those root exodus aren't being consumed by the microbes either at that point. So they'll build up in the system. You picture like a fatty acid coating, uh, coating the bottom of these roots, and it makes it hard for them to pull up the water and nutrients that they need. So that's because of that is one of the main reasons that people have to drain the reservoirs or uh, bring it back up uh, with fresh water to get rid of all of those uh, organic buildups and the things that antagonize their successful growing. Um, for us, we use a method of a kill step in our recirculation called ozonation. So using O3, something similar people use in their basements sometimes, whatever it might be for air purification. We use it for our water. Um, and so we're hitting levels that uh, we are shoot after based on what municipalities use for wastewater treatment. Now, obviously, our water is very clean. It's not wastewater by any means, but we're using very high levels. Does it guarantee a kill step? And the perk of that is that the right concentration of ozonation breaks apart those fatty acid chains um, that are, are those root exodus. So we're, we're actually able to continue to recirculate our water without ever having to drain down our reservoirs. So that, again, that's just said, even within the vertical farming industry, that's another step forward that Calera has taken. Sure. And that's huge. I would imagine from a total water capacity you know, you're in the thousands of gallons that you're that you have active in your system. Correct. Yeah, about a hundred thousand gallons at all times in the system. Roughly five thousand gallons a day. Wow, very good. And that's, that's mostly just transpiration. Yeah. Hey, Brad. This is Greg. I grew up on a farm near Brighton, and we grew a lot of our own lettuce. We had a five-acre garden and we had more lettuce than we could eat you know because it all comes in at once and then you know you're you're calling yeah. your neighbors to can't really you know can lettuce like you can some root vegetables or just other things but i do remember yeah. uh, growing my own lettuce and having to fight the battle of the bugs and you know there's a lot of people that have backyard gardens in fact uh brett most of the people that listen to this show uh around the country are in urban areas and they have small patios but a lot of people like to grow lettuce because lettuce is very easy to grow but one thing you know growing your own lettuce you realize (laughs) is that it takes you know herbicides and pesticides to keep the bugs from eating it and to get it to grow and also you use a lot of water to wash all the dirt off uh and and even then you know you you get a lot of times some sand when you're eating your your salad but i have have a question for you brent about uh uh, the types, the varieties of, of lettuce that you grow there. What, what, what do you what do you grow? Sure, yeah. So we grow a uh, we grow some hybrids of a leafy green variety. We call it our crunch, um, and so that is going to be uh, kind of so it's, uh, some of them are crosses with like icebergs, um, but it, it really tends towards that the uh, the leafy green lettuce. If you're familiar, kind of a really darker green. Um, we grow romaine. That's beautiful, as I actually looks very different to what people are familiar with with the romaine. Um, that big reason being that 
we've been sold on the romaine hearts. So a lot of these conventional uh, farms are growing massive heads of romaine that if you were to walk through those farms, they look they look gross. You don't want to see them. They rip off all those gross leaves, and they're left with a really beautiful heart. And I do love the hearts of romaine. I'm a big Caesar salad guy. But it's because of that, people don't really know what that plant looks like anymore. So when you see our romaine, it's big, beautiful, dark green leaves. It'll start to form a small heart um, in the middle, but we just don't have to get rid of those beautiful, uh, nutritious outside leaves. Um, then we also grow a butterhead lettuce. That's one of my favorites. Um, and what else we got? Um, we got our microgreens production. So that's a variety of different herbs. Um, and that's, that's about it. So we focus on the butterhead romaine and those leafy green hybrids. Very good. Thank, thank you, Brent, for explaining that. And then do you have to triple wash or wash these at all before they go in, into uh, to the bag or to the box? No, it is, a, it is a very clean product. Now, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't recommend washing it. As sure. you know, uh, between the, you're, you're going through multiple steps after it gets packaged here. Um, so it's always a good idea to wash whatever. But, no, this is an extremely clean product as I get it packed. So we don't, no waste of water there either. Well, you know what? When you're doing all this, I haven't had a chance to visit your uh, facility yet. I'd love to. Chef Jackson's been through. But, uh, you know, it reminds me of my childhood going through Epcot. And Epcot has that ride where you're on the water and you're going real slowly sure. past all the hydroponic plants. And this is like, you know, this is like 30 years ago. This is your future, you know, like, no, you're I, like, I, I, yeah. yeah, I did that 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> our director of, yeah, our director of horticulture and R&D as well as our director of production, uh, they, they both met each other and started working at that Epcot uh, hydroponic greenhouse yeah. in Orlando. Well, hey, the yeah, the future is here. The future is here as far as this technology goes, right, Brent? Right. Yeah, we just need to get a boat in here. Need very, a boat. Very good. Hey, uh, Brent. Yeah. You know, I'm I've been a chef for 25 years, and I'm very familiar with the microgreen market. But a lot of our listeners might not be. And you know, again, when I toured your facility, I tasted some of those microgreens. Can you share with our listeners what microgreens are all about? And how are those distributed um, through Calera? Yeah, so those are that's a fun product. Um, the what we are selling most of our microgreens right now, and this is something that is getting ready to be scaled up um, significantly. But what we what we focus on more than anything is uh, food service, and like you said, you are a chef doing that, and that mostly just comes along with that. A lot a lot of people aren't familiar with all the wonders of microgreens and different flavors that you can get there but in that same uh regard we are looking we're really trying to break into the retail market and educate the public on just how uh how much fun microgreens can be whether it's in addition to your salad as topping for a nice steak whatever it might be um so we've got our spicy mixes we've got our uh you know what we call like a rainbow mix so it's, it's still delicious but it's just beautiful um to the eye and everyone knows you eat with your eyes before you eat with your mouth uh, and the, but but for the most part, the people that want it the most are your chefs, folks that understand that uh, flavor palette and want to take that meal they're cooking to the next level. But I think that a lot of home cooks would appreciate that same strategy as well and be very impressive at a dinner party to top whatever with a bit of microgreens. Very good. Yeah, Chef uh, Jackson and I have talked frequently on Food Chat, which you know really is about where food comes from. But in food service, typically chefs are pretty discerning buyers, and they want the best. That's why a lot of times people will find that the food quality is better in the food service and the restaurant side than the retail side. Not not always, but pretty frequently. No, I, I was just saying you're absolutely right, and that's 
chefs are our first clients, but that's the great thing about a retail product when you see it in the store. Is it is that it's the same products we sell to the chefs, just packaged for retail. So it has been scrutinized for, for a couple of years now, and now you're able to buy it in the store at that same quality. Brenta, what um, other items do you think we'll see in the next five to ten years that will be grown hydroponically that are, that are not grown that way now? That is a great question. Um, the leafy greens is a no-brainer. And so through that, you've got your, you can branch out to your Asian greens, whether it's your pack choys, bok choys, things like that. Um, but if we, and then herbs, that would be in that same bucket in my mind, um, as well as the microgreens. That is strawberries. Um, and we already see that. Um, from there, it gets a little tougher. Uh, but tomatoes, uh, easy one for sure. And then when you're growing tomatoes, you can grow your peppers, cucurbits. All of those are very similar in their growing methods. It's just um, the space you need for them is a little bit larger. They're larger plants, so and they're longer growth cycles. So when you come with that, there's more options for whether it be disease. Um, literally, just when you break down the cost analysis, is it worth it at that point for the footprint? So those are things we got to ask ourselves. Um, we might see that, like, if that's your progression, leafy greens to small fruiting crops like strawberries, the larger fruiting crops like your tomatoes and peppers, Will we see that stop at a certain point? Will it make more sense for um, maybe not conventional agriculture, but natural agriculture or something like that? Because um, maybe vertical farming isn't the answer to every single crop, right? We know that for cereal grains and things like that for sure. Uh, but then the other part of that is genetics and how, like, uh, w- what happens when you start breeding tomatoes specifically for indoor farming, too? And we're seeing a little bit of that as well. Very good. Excellent, Brent. Hey, Brent, when I was uh, touring the facility, Joey was on duty, giving us the full tour. What a knowledgeable man he is. And not sharing any specific numbers. He said one of the biggest things he wrestles with every week is the XL Energy bill. Because you're pretty much driven by electric and pumps and all that. Um, I would imagine that's your biggest expense. It is. Yep, that and labor. Yeah. Um, and that, 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 is, that is the reality still. Uh, like I said, when you break that down to a greenhouse, I think we are doing great, even though we are supplementing that extra light. It's the, um, the expanse and yield will level that out. The, um, but when you compare it to outdoor agriculture, obviously, it's a, it's a, you, you can't because you're benefiting from all the natural sunlight and everything. Um, so that is something that we continue to battle. We look for efficiencies always. And what do we need? What can we do with uh, lower photo periods, whatever it might be, to limit uh, that uh, electrical bill? Um, but then, like I said, there's still so much growth within um, renewable energy sources, too. And so as that industry expands, so do we there. And that, that's, that's a very bright horizon in my mind. Very good. Hey, can we talk about distribution? Um, can our listeners find your product anywhere out uh, in the local uh, supermarkets? And if uh, if we're trying to tell other chefs about what you're all about, where do they go? Yes. So we are distributing through U.S. Foods. Uh, and then Safeway is a great place for uh, your local consumer to go find our products in the Denver area right now. And I'd encourage everyone to get in their cars and drive to the Safeway right now. Hey, Brent are, the, Brent, are the products that are grown hydroponically, are they labeled as such on the package? 
yes, hydroponic, pesticide-free. It's all there on the label. Very good. So people that are looking for this, uh, they can find it. You know, I think that uh, it's interesting, you know, we talk about where food comes from. And one thing with all agriculture is there's trade-offs, right? So, yeah, you can grow lettuce outside, traditional fashion way, but you're using a lot of water, like you talked about, and you're using herbicides and pesticides to keep the critters from eating the, their food too, right? So, yeah, there's this trade-off where now you, you don't use as much water, and water's becoming an increasingly scarce thing in the West. Um, but, you know, you're using electricity, more electricity. So it's just a trade-off. But every, 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 all the food that we consume and even getting in the car and driving around, there's these, these challenges that we have for, you know, what are we going to do, right, Chef Jackson? I mean, how do you – Right, yep. yeah, yeah. Everything has inputs and everything has a cost. I mean, sure. no, no, nothing grown that we eat has a zero input cost. <laughs> so. and, and we have choices. Right. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I will say that a lot of the local organic farms, I have a big farmer's market guy, that's a huge step forward. But when you talk about feeding the, feeding the masses, that, that's the big question, right? Right. Well, that's where this for leafy green. Yeah, this is, this is it. So, uh, Brent, what, what do, uh, do, do a lot of other cities around the country, big cities, you know, the big cities, Chicago, Boston, New York, Houston, just all the big cities, right? Do they, do you think, all have a hydroponic growing facility in their backyard like we do here in the Mile High City? There are. There are. There's a good handful of, um, whether it be hydroponic or like houses that are our top competitors as well. Uh, we say competitors, they're they're all working towards the same that we are. Um, it is. It's, it's popping up in most major cities now. We're distributing to a nearby city, but it's a pretty neat thing to see for the industry, and I, I, I'm grateful to see it, whether it's Blair or another competitor. It's a really good thing. You know, I've seen some small operations, Brent, um, that are not big enough to really, you know, sell commercially. They're, they're more like a hobby th- thing for a neighborhood or a, a community. But uh, I imagine yes. the, the infrastructure cost to set up the type of operation at Clara Farms is pretty pretty substantial. It is. Uh, but without going into too much insider baseball there, we are it's substantially less than a lot of uh, conventional vertical farms at the moment. That's, that's another big reason why I think Calera is separate to a lot of those and unique in the way they go about it. Um, is that it is it's, it's that that capital expense right up front is very manageable and it makes it so that this can this model can be repeated over and over and over again very quickly. Brent, I find that people that listen to our country they tell me that uh, uh, they they're interested in food production. They're not in food production. I mean, less than two percent of our country is involved with food production anymore, which is thus the reason for this show is because we're all disconnected from our food source. We don't we don't grow it, we don't raise it, we don't really know how it gets into the package that we pick up at the local grocery store. But uh, for people that are interested in food production, what would your advice to be if there is a listener in the city that wants to learn about food production, specifically uh, this, this method of growing food hydroponically? Like are there universities that have programs in this that they can check out? There are universities. Um, there's plenty of, I would say, one of, some of the more, because we're, we're talking about your average uh, consumer in a, in a home, right, in the city is what you're asking? Correct, yeah. Or are you asking for someone? Yep. So I would say one of the best resources is just get onto YouTube, get onto Google. It's very accessible. And look up some of these uh, all-inclusive products, because they're great. I've got some at home, too, of just, like, 
what might seem kind of trivial compared to what you, you might have seen walking through this facility, but they're fantastic. They come with a light. They come with a small little pump. They come with everything you need to get started, um, and then they'll give you the instructions from there. So I would say start start easy. Don't don't make it harder on yourself than it needs to be. Get that small kit that's ready for you to rock. Start growing whatever you want. Grow a tomato plant. Grow whatever whatever makes you happy, and then understand the mechanics behind it. And then you'll get the bug for sure. You'll want to scale that up. Get a little bit bigger pump. Get your own PVC pipe. You can do it all yourself. You can do it under the sunlight too if you have the yard for it. But start start easy. I would say don't don't overwhelm yourself with a project. But I I encourage everyone whether it's the hydroponics or just planting in the ground and doing it. I think that one of the best things we can do to fix our food sourcing problem is to grow a garden. And I'm very passionate about that. Yeah, you can get started with very little space, even if you're a urban dweller and you have a, a lanai or you just you have nothing outside. You can you can do this inside. Whereas you know, if Chef Jackson That's over here wants to too. get in the beef business and put a cow in his backyard, he's got to have some substantial acreage to cover that. You exactly. know, yeah. So even chickens yep. take a little more room yep. than 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 lettuce, right? So it's a great idea. Yeah, exactly. And they got these tents. So if you've got an apartment with no sunlight or anything, you get a little tent. You can grow at least a tomato plant or two. Yeah, that's a great idea. And I always encourage people to try to grow their own food because it's 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 fun, it's rewarding, and it's a little harder than people think. You know, uh, there's a lot of people that you know have a backyard garden and they they love doing that, but uh, you know the, then then the bugs wipe it out or they go on vacation, they forget to water it, and then it's decimated. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> yeah, sure. it happened there. Yep. Very good. Yeah, um, I would say it is. It is harder. It's easier too, but then people realize as well. Very, very achievable. So, hey, Brent, you know, when I was, uh, we had Sarah come into my classroom and, and just talk about some generalities. And she said, historically, 90% of all lettuces normally come from Arizona or the Imperial Valley in California. And you're making a big yeah. difference in that. Yes, and that's huge. That's when you talk about a footprint. Man, what is what is what is that energy bill when you look at all of that uh, distribution cost and that uh, just all of that diesel fuel that you're using to ship, um, and then you provide a it's a very perishable product. So now you've taken a lot of that uh, possible storage time and you have wasted it on that travel. So bringing this close to you is huge. I know we get I keep this lettuce in my fridge a little bit too long sometimes. But it's remarkable how long it stays fresh. Yeah. I, w I also want to mention that uh, Sarah mentioned to me that through U.S. Food Service, your distribution goes, you really penetrate the western states, Utah, Oregon, Northern California. Uh, you're getting your product all over the west, which is fantastic. Isn't it? It's interesting, too, when you talk about where the rest of that lettuce comes from. Is is there they're shipping it across the country from the west to begin with so the fact that we are able to penetrate into that market i think speaks to quality on our end too fantastic well listen uh brent we're just out of time here on food chat but this has been a great call um you know this is the future you know when i was with my students at the uh at the farm i said this is like science fiction but it's just like we talked yeah. about with epcot earlier uh it is the future and um you know, I mentioned the Arizona and the Imperial Valley. Well, now we have the problem of water with the Colorado River, and I think that's all going to go away. So 
Well, we'll see what happens. But in any event, I want to wish you best of luck up at Calera. Uh, again, I'm, I'll be looking for your product. Did you say King Supers has that? You know, some King Supers do. Safeway certainly does. So I would encourage you to look through those avenues. Very good. Thank All you, Brett. All right, Brett. Thank you so much, and uh, have a great weekend, okay? Yeah, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Today's episode of Food Chat is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. RanchFreshMeats.com has the best selection of beef, bison, wagyu, air-chilled chicken, turkey, and duroc pork, and more, all sourced from the family farms and ultra-clean USDA plants that they know personally. Take the mystery out of where your meat comes from and how the animals were cared for and buy your family's meats at RanchFreshMeats.com. Hey, save 10% on your first order by using Food Chat at checkout. Orders over two hundred dollars include free shipping ranchfreshmeats.com here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring the turn from green to bad harvest honey hold one up for the banker downtown they got him on his feet with handshake money here's to the farmer's wife that loves him every night raising a son Raising a daughter, they gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.